We're ready to look into God's holy word, but we have already been looking into God's holy word, haven't we? I mean, this this worship service has just been, you've heard already, you've heard two messages, haven't you? Through, through the singing, it's been fantastic. And then Pastor Aldo got up. I almost walked out. I, I'm not needed. That was such a good message. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. And, uh, but, but what a privilege. You're not getting off that easy, though. Uh, we're going to look into God's holy word. And if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with us to Revelation 8 and 9, that's what Bishop has allowed me to look at with you today. And I, I am so thankful for so much of what this series is about. I haven't been able to listen to all the messages, but I have been listen, able to listen to some of them. And I love the, the, the title of this, of this series, Focused on the King Until the End, right? Yes. Focused on the King Until the End. The end of what? The end of what? The end of human history. But the end of human history is the very beginning of what? Eternity for us. And so the reality of the the name of this series is so powerful for us because it reminds us that we live in space and time and history. And we are creatures of history, but we are also creatures of life beyond history. And history is his story, isn't it? It is God's story, and that's what we've been singing about, worshiping them about the name, the name above all names. And, and so this series is so good, focused on the king until the end of human history, which is the beginning of our eternal history. And listen, we are going to have some great times in heaven. I want you to know heaven is the new heaven and the new earth, right? We are, it's going to be more amazing. Guys, a lot of men don't look forward to heaven. You know, the what am I going to be doing in heaven? I'm going to be you know, flying around, uh, playing a harp, and I'm not musical. I want you to know. I love the worship of this church, but I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. You guys are so loud, and, and I love it because it covers me up. But in heaven, it's not going to be just singing songs. It's going to be that. It's going to be worship. It's going to be great worship. But it's also going to be adventures for Jesus. It's going to be experiencing Jesus, experiencing the triune God. So it's a wonderful thing, and I love his focus in this series. I plan to focus on what's going on in heaven, the doxology, how Christ is our strength, and to be our focus no matter how ugly, hard, or frightening it gets. Uh, And that is so true. Jesus is always worth our focus and worship. Now catch this. Bishop told me this. My prayer is that the church is ready to endure to the end, but encouraged more than afraid of what they see in the book of Revelation. So Revelation can be a terrifying book. It's an amazing ride unless you understand and have your faith firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. It can be terrifying, but for us, it's not terrifying. For us, it's a map of the future, and it gives us great, great hope. So today, I get to look at... Uh, the trumpets. And the trumpets are an amazing um, look ahead, the second sevenfold uh, unpacking of God's judgments. Do you remember Do you remember years ago the movie, the TV show Fear Factor? You remember that? Uh, as we think of the trumpets, this is going to uh, potentially raise up some fear. 
as we look ahead, but we'll see as we unpack it. And then if I, if I don't unpack this uh, the way your bishop wants it unpacked, then he has next week to clean up the mess, doesn't he? He can, he can re-straighten all of this out. But Revelation is one of those books that has a lot of different interpretive lines. You can go a lot of different directions. So as we look at the seven trumpets, you could say, well, does this happen right uh, before the end? And that's where uh, the futurists look at this. And I, I think that's, that's a, that, is a, that is probably your position and the major position that this is happening at the at midpoint of the tribulation. Others see this uh, as something that is going on down through the church age, but certainly before the second coming. Those two views are not that incompatible. The bottom line is, is that these trumpets are expressing what's coming before the major final unfolding of God's judgment on earth. And so let's take a look at it. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we've got an outline. I'm going to do my best to kind of just go through Scripture. I'm going to read it. I comment on it. And, uh, and, and we'll just keep going back and forth on this. First of all, I want you to note the silence, the silence before the storm of justice. Uh, Revelation 8, 1 through 5, the seventh seal the prelude to the seven, seven trumpets. When he opened, when he, the lamb, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Let's unpack that a little bit because as we see this prelude to the seven trumpets, the picture is heaven and we see the lamb, the only one that is qualified to open up the seals, right? And to, and, and to make sure that history is unfolding because we said history is his story. And so we see here this, this prelude and we see this one throne. Notice the golden altar which is before the throne. In the temple and in the tabernacle before that, there were two altars, weren't there? There were two uh, uh, areas where there were altars. There was the bronze altar where the burnt offerings were given out, out front in the, in the uh, opening area before the tabernacle or the temple. And then there was the, temple of incense, the altar of incense inside just before the Holy of Holies. In this picture of heaven, there's only one, one altar here. Uh, the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense are the prayers of the saints. The incense, and some of you were raised in maybe a, a church environment where literally the pastors or the priests shook an incense. Some of you were, anybody raised in that kind of, yeah, you know what we're talking about. I was never raised, I was raised Baptist. We didn't have incense, we didn't have anything, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> but but this imagery, this imagery uh, <laughs> we, we had a pool of water. That's what we had. That's what, amen. And, and this incense that was shaken is indicative of, of the prayers of God's people ascending. 
And so, you know, my Baptist background, they said, well, that was all, that's all terrible. No, it's imagery from the Bible, really, that can be useful in helping us to understand uh, what's going on here. And so the incense, can, can you smell this? Can, can you enter in? You know, as we read the Bible, God has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to have a sanctified imagination, to enter in to this. Revelation is written, um, it's very difficult to understand all of the elements, but one of the main reasons it's written the way it's written is so that you and I would, would enter in emotionally, visually. It's very visual, isn't it? It's really like a movie, uh, the book of Revelation is, so that we can enter in and we can experience the majesty of God and the prayers ascending uh, and, and, and see it and feel it and worship God. The angels are the mediators of the saints uh, in heaven at, at this time. But notice, there is silence in heaven. There is silence before the judgments of the trumpets unfold. And silence is indicative of a major change. That something is about ready to happen. It's it's uh, like the other day when the hurricane was going on off the, the west coast of Florida, and my wife and I went out for a walk, and it was muggy, and it was hot, and it was overcast, it wasn't raining, and it was still. And I thought, something's about ready to happen. And we didn't get a bad hurricane here in central Florida, fortunately. We got some rain, but it wasn't bad. But you picture this silence. Those of you who have children know that you hardly ever experience that. But in a biblical sense, there's this, this, this pause, this suspense before something very dramatic takes place. And then the seventh seal uh, opens and we see the angels and the trumpets and the prayers and all of this. Notice, notice, and we must keep in mind that whenever there is silence and there is a pause before God judges, that it doesn't mean that God is not intent on judging. It's important for us to understand uh, that as we think of delay, we can't think of indifference, that God is holy, holy, holy. And what often happens in American culture today is that we think that everything is okay because God has not entered in and judged immediately. So it must be okay. I can sin all I want because God does nothing about it. No, no, no. Delay is God's grace. Delay is God's mercy which are new every morning. And, and God's delay does not indicate indifference. He is still holy, holy, holy. And his judgments are about ready to take place. I want, to, I want you to keep in mind something that, that comes out to me so much as I read this text and as I see these, uh, this silence before the fire and all these things are cast down under the earth. Very dramatic. Very sad at one respect. Notice that God's justice is in, re in relationship to the prayers of God's people. A verse that already no doubt has been preached on here, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, under the fifth seal, the cry of the martyrs, right? And, and this stands out to me as so important. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
and they cried with a loud voice. These are God's people who have suffered for the gospel, who have suffered for Jesus Christ. And they cry out, how long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so as we understand these judgments of God, it's important for us to sort of think about our connection with God's brothers and sisters that went before us, back even into the Old Testament times, who suffered for the faith. The Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Isaiah, sawned in two. All of those that have suffered since the coming of Jesus, not because they didn't have enough money to pay the rent, but because they gave up their life for the king as the world was putting pressure on them to capitulate and turn away from the one king. And so these judgments are a response to God's people calling for God's justice. Don't we long for justice? We do. Uh, and, 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 and because Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and so our brothers and sisters are crying out to heaven, uh, and God hears the prayers uh, of them, and that's why these judgments that are coming, these these judgments that are coming are in response to the need for justice to be poured out upon uh, God's people as well as to satisfy the holy justice of God. So the seven angels with seven trumpets after the prayers, the pouring out of justice begins. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thundering, lightning, and earthquake the judgment of our holy God begins to happen. So that's the first point. I want you to note the silence before the storm of God's justice is poured out. But then notice also that the justice that brings desolation. Now we're going to walk through chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, and chapter 9. I'm going to walk through this with you. You ready? All right, here we go. Let's take a look at this. I don't know how detailed, uh, Bishop, you've been on this. Very detailed? Depends. Depends. All right, there it is. I'm going to be as detailed as I can, but not overly so. But we're going to walk through this here because the justice that brings desolation starts with the trumpets. What is a trumpet for? A trumpet, a trumpet signifies something significant is about ready to happen. Now, I can't, I, like I said, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't play any musical instruments. How about that, sports fans? I just don't, I can't, but I know trumpets, trumpets get your attention. When the king comes out, the trumpets are, are, are blaring, the king's coming, right? And that's what the whole idea of the trumpets is something is happening, the king is doing something. And so what we see here in these first uh, uh, four of the trumpets that blast is that we see that the king is bringing judgment on the earth, but the reality is it's restrained somewhat. This is not the full-blown final judgment, however you look at this. There is much restraint here. But notice that as we go through this, you will see something fantastic, and that is there is a, a, a direct relationship to what's going on here in Revelation, to what went on back in Exodus during the plagues. And the trumpets and the Exodus play, uh, plagues are, are connected. Look, first of all, at the first trumpet in, in uh, eight, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. The vegetation is struck, uh, hail and land on the crops. Does that sound like Exodus? Yeah, do you remember that plague back then, the seventh plague? 
The first angel sounded and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This idea of a third shows restraint, doesn't it? It shows that God is not bringing judgment here in the trumpet judgments, the second sevenfold judgments in the book of Revelation after the seals. The third shows that God is not bringing total devastation and that there is restraint in what God does. The question is, uh, how much of this is uh, direct, um, shall we say, uh, cataclysmic physical judgments from heaven on earth or, as some would say, no, this, this probably is human warfare, humans against humans, that God is overseeing. It's hard to know exactly what is going on here, but we do know that God is behind it and orchestrating judgment on, on earth uh, for human beings. Second trumpet, the seas are struck. Um, Exodus 7, 20 through 25. Remember what happened to the water in the Nile River? What happened? Turned to blood. Yeah. And so we see a connection there. The second angel sounded something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. That sounds like a volcano, doesn't it? Yeah, like a Vesuvius. That's why some people say, well, you see, down through history, volcanoes erupting have shown the coming judgment of God. Some have said, no, this is at the very end. It's going to be a direct uh, work of God. However you look at that, it's important to understand uh, that there is devastation. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third, again, a third, God shows restraint. This is going to uh, get our attention here at the very end. The third trumpets, the waters are struck. A third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. Now look at this closely. A, a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. I've never uh, tasted anything that came from Wormwood. It was a plant. It was bitter. It was not good tasting at all. And, uh, but notice, many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, who is this angel, this great star? Maybe it was a, a, a meteorite uh, that, that we don't know exactly. Uh, could it be pollution for modern warfare? Could it be the direct judgment of God? Yeah, it's, this, is, this is powerful stuff. It's going to get increasingly more difficult, isn't it? The fourth trumpet. The heavens struck, Exodus 10, 21. Darkness on the land. Boy, that sounds like the Exodus experience as well. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Again, is this something that God does at the very end? Is it human warfare? Do you remember when Kuwait was invaded years and years ago, and all of the oil wells were burning because of human warfare? Um, it, the sky was darkened. Could this be uh, uh, what goes on on the earth at the end times here? And that, that because of the human warfare, the pollution that happens, the, the man turning against men, uh, the fighting, the, the, the burning of oil, well, who knows what this is exactly? Or is this direct fire from God? I tell you, it's, it's a, it's, is this disturbing at all? It, it is, and it's meant to be disturbing. 
And I looked, verse 13, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Woe, woe, woe. When things are repeated three times, you know what? It's going to happen. There's great emphasis, as we said today. What do the angels say about God in Isaiah chapter 6? Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew way of thinking, emphasis is repetition. Emphasis is made through repetition. And you say, well, listen, we're at the fourth trumpet already, and now he says, wait, there's three more, and these woes are worse. Yeah. You see the ramping up? There is restraint among these trumpet judgments, but it is ramping up, and the woes are going to be greater and more cosmic as they go. Um, Notice these four judgments. Revelation chapter 9 Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. Watch this closely with me. A star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Now let me back up. And those of you might might be connecting with what he said. The angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Does that remind you of anything Jesus said? The disciples went out on mission, and they were successful bringing people to faith in Christ. And they came back, and they said to Jesus, we healed people. There were miracles. There were great things that happened. And what did Jesus say? I saw Satan fall from the heavens. There is, there is something parallel here. I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth to give him was given the key. And it seems as though this may well be. Many Bible uh, teachers see this as Satan who is being used now by God to judge the ungodly on the face of the earth. Then out of the the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Uh, You know, locusts, in my mind, I've never seen a locust infestation. Have you? I've never seen it. But I have been out at my son's house way out and lives out in Chuliota. And when the grasshoppers come out, there are grasshoppers this big. Have you seen those suckers? It's kind of like I'm moving out of Florida. You know, I'm getting out of here when, when grasshoppers this big are coming. Now, these, 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 these locusts, the picture, uh, as we will see, have a face of a lion. They're commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or, or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on them. And so what we see is that God's people are protected in a unique way. What is that seal? I, I think that seal is at least, at minimum, the Holy Spirit that is on you and protecting you and me. And we are not being judged in this. Uh, but, but they were given authority not to kill, to kill them, not us, but others, and to torment them for five months. Why five months? Brevity. This shows that in this, in this stage of God's judgments, he is not bringing the finality of it all on everybody. 
Uh, It's a short period of time, but uh, the sting of the locusts will be very, very difficult and terrible. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong one. Faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon, which means the one who destroys. And so it seems as though God is using Satan here to bring a condemnation on, on unbelievers. Catch this, though. It is Satan, God is allowing Satan and using Satan to attack his followers. How does Satan really think about you? He hates you because you're a believer. But how does Satan think about the people that follow him? He hates them as well. He's the hater. He's the adversary. He's the destroyer. And any kind face you ever, anybody ever wants to put on Satan, uh, they, they misunderstand that Satan will take anybody down at any time because he hates. And so here we see one woe is past, two more woes, and the sixth trumpet, the angel from the Euphrates uh, comes. And, 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 and again, it's a killing a third of mankind. The number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. This is called the demonic cavalry. Um, and, uh, and again, it's, it's horrible, these plagues, a third of mankind, by the fire and smoke and brimstone that comes out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents. Brothers and sisters, this is awful. But it's what's coming. It's what's coming upon ungodliness. And I want to pull this together by reading just verses 20 and following, and then I make some applications to us because this is so powerful before we sit before the table of our Lord. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent, verse 20, of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Let me, let me pull this together with some applications for us today as we think about these trumpets that are sounding probably, probably in the future, in the midpoint of the tribulation. Um, notice how restrained God is in his judgment. But notice, notice awful, how awful it is. But what effect does the judgment of God have on the hardened heart of sinners? Do they repent? They do not repent. They don't repent. If, if anything is calculated and effective in, in, in bringing people to repentance and coming to the one true God, wouldn't you think it would be judgments like this? That in the, in the midst of the awfulness of, God, of God's judgment, many would say, we were wrong. But they won't repent. 
And this shows us the principle that is very, very important to understand in Scripture, that when, when, when the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That spiritual death alienates us from God, from one another, and from our very selves. But when he says that you were dead spiritually before you came to faith in Christ, you were dead, and you had no ability to repent on your own, just like all those folks out there. Such is the hardness of our heart, what sin does to us. Such was Pharaoh's heart, as we see the connection with these plagues to the plagues of, 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 in Egypt. Such was Pharaoh's heart. It was hard, and only God can soften our heart. There's several applications that are so important here. One is, is to remember that as these judgments are poured out, God is holy, holy, holy. And that the logical results of God's holiness is that he must, in fact, judge sin. He delays, he delays, he delays. But he must judge sin. And, and so just as, as we were led this morning into times of worshiping, Worshiping the one name that is greater than every name. Uh, we understand that God deserves that so perfectly. Uh, and that he must judge. If you struggle with this judgment, and I struggle with it a little bit. I want you to know. I struggle with it a little bit. But I know it's because God is holy. And, and the longer I follow him, the more I see how holy he is and I am not. And so this is all um, justified because God is holy. A second application that helps me understand the gospel in a deeper way is to understand if God is pouring out this wrath on unbelievers who rejected Christ and whose hearts are hard, think about how he poured out his wrath upon Jesus when Jesus came. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, if you've ever seen that whole scene of the, uh, of, of the scourging of our Lord, if you enter in on Good Friday and you think about the awful sacrifice that Jesus had to endure for us, it's because God is holy, 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 and he simply cannot sweep judgment under the rug. But for us to be forgiven was costly, costly Grace, not cheap grace, not cheap grace, costly grace. The very sacrifice of our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. And so, um, and so this, this whole passage helps me move to the gospel to be thankful for my salvation in Christ. I hope it does for you too. And to understand that he did that for you willingly because he loves you deeply. The third application is how in intense some of the satanic warfare can be upon us. Uh, uh, Satan hates people, and, and how important that text in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, uh, I, I, I go, you know, life is pretty good. Uh, and, um, and I don't realize that the unseen realm is more powerful 
And that's why this series is so important for us to understand that we in the midst, in this meantime, not only get to experience the grace of this costly grace of Jesus, but we get to give it to others uh, that God could use us and talking about it with them. Uh, notice uh, uh, another application, and, uh, and that is the sovereign power of God in heaven. And I, and I really want to end with this to, because, because this, this whole revelation has been so helpful for us to see that all of this goes back to heaven, doesn't it? This, we, we see what's going on behind the scenes here. Who is in charge? Who is large and in charge? Who, who allows the, the seals to be opened? Who allows the trumpets to be blown? It is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is large and in charge. God is the sovereign king of heaven and earth. As we sang this morning, I wrote it down. I'm not going to sing it to you. But as I wrote it down, um, as the seasons change, your faithfulness, what? Remains. Remains. And the seasons will change. And when the, we are, we know, according to Acts chapter 2, that we are in the end times. Are we in the end of the end times? We don't know that yet. But we do know the seasons will change. And his faithfulness remains. And that's why we have to keep in mind that our, our Savior is Jesus, not the government. Our Savior is, 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 is the one who came and died and rose again on our behalf, not our own self-efforts that we make. Uh, and, and so it reminds us who our ultimate trust ought to be in. It gives us great encouragement because in the end, we win. Amen. In the end, we win because Jesus wins. The, the tomb is empty and so is the cross. And that proves that we will win. And so really, as, those, as I talk about the end times with my friends, pastors of different denominations, I say, what, what do you believe about Revelation? And Bishop and I have had some spirited discussions too. What do you believe about it? And one, one of my friends said, it's a pa- I'm a pan-millennialist. A pan-millennialist? What do you mean by being a pan-millennialist? And he said, I think it means it all pans out in the end. <laughs> it does, that's true. It'll all work out because Jesus is alive. And so the verse that I want to leave you with today as I think about this text as we go to the Lord's Supper, as Bishop takes over and leads us into that time, is really 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. These verses, in light of all that is coming and all of the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, reminds me of how great my salvation is in Jesus and how thankful I am. And so John says to us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Every sacrifice you make for Jesus matters. Every time you say no to sin matters. Every time you and I see our ego and confess it and go running back to him, it matters. Every time we stand up and cry for justice, it matters. And so, brothers and sisters, 
I love you, I love this church, and I love Jesus, and Jesus loves you. So we should not love the world, but love him. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer, and Bishop will come forward. Father, thank you for this word that gives us hope. Thank you for how it points us to the future. Thank you, Jesus, for how it points us to your ultimate triumph. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we love you more than the world, for we pray in your holy name.